happy Halloween from me, Alexi Toliopoulos, one of the hosts of Special Features, the only podcast on the internet that discusses popular culture. We've got a cracker for you today, but I'll report something a little distressing. Uh, originally, Demi Lardner, one of my dear friends, a great horror mind, recorded a great episode of some kind of underappreciated horror films for you to watch over this weekend. But in a rare instance of technology failing me, the file was completely corrupted. Perhaps the ghouls of Halloween were attacking me a little early and annoyed me. But instead, what I've done is I've gone through the archives and I've unlocked this great episode from behind the paywall that Maria Lewis, who's one of the great filmic, authorial horror minds in Australia and I recorded last year, where we basically recapped the year of 2022 in horror, picked some of our favorites, some things that we're interested in, and talked through them. It was a real pleasure to re-listen to this episode, and all the movies are even more accessible now than they were back then. So enjoy this. It paired up with the review that we did last year for Barbarian, which we both really liked. I, in fact, loved it. Um, so check out that and enjoy your Halloween weekend. Uh, I'll also give a little plug. Maria's got a brand new book out called The Graveyard Shift. It is a murder mystery slasher book. So if you are into that kind of stuff, must check it out. It is so much fun. I've been having an absolute blast reading it. And I'll say this, if you're a Melbourneite, if you're from Melbourne, if you're from Nam. This is a book set there, and you'll get a huge kick out of it. Uh, so check it out. I was reading it while I was down there just last weekend, and I'll tell you, it spooked me the frick out. Enjoy it. I'll give it another couple of plugs. Cameron James is in a movie, a feature film, a hilarious comedy film called The Emu War, and it is screening in Sydney this weekend, Sunday, the 29th of October, at event cinemas as part of Monster Fest. I'm going to put a little sh- clicky linky in the show notes for you to click on through and pick up some tickets. I saw it in Melbourne last weekend. Um, it's so funny. It's made by our friends Jay Morrissey, Lisa Feinberg, Jonathan Schuster, Aaron Gox, Dane Simpson. They're all so funny at Lee in the Moon. My God, the list goes on. It is hysterical. It's so funny. If you like stuff, like grubby Aussie humor and sketch movies like Wet Hot American Summer and genre parodies like Tropic Thunder, you're going to have a great time. It's a breeze. It's a blast. It's a freaking laugh per second kind of movie. And Cam is so funny in it. He plays a freaking prime minister of Australia. What more can you say? Check it out. And I am in a music video. (laughs) I'm in Guy Sebastian's new music video for I Choose Good. It's now out on YouTube. Uh, check it out. It's like a 1970s cop pastiche. It sounds so crazy to say this. It's so surreal that I'm in Guy Sebastian's new music video. Um, it's really fun. It's so sick. It's a great banger song. And I play his sidekick in it. And now we're best friends. So maybe one day I'll have a podcast with Guy Sebastian too. Enjoy this episode. Happy Halloween, babes. And we'll get some new stuff out to you ASAP. Maybe Demi and I will get back together and re-record some more horror recommendations for you.
Hello and welcome behind the paywall for another exclusive episode of Total Reboot After Dark Edition. Uh, joining me on this episode is one of our favorites, Maria Lewis. How you doing, baby? Hi, I'm doing so good. Love to be behind a paywall. I feel like this is the closest I'll ever get to OnlyFans. Wow. So it's like really exciting to voyeuristically be wow. here. You know? Very exciting for me to be here if that's the case. Good Lord almighty. Yeah, no free feet pics. You know what I'm saying? <laughs> well, Maria, I got you here for a very specific purpose. Uh, 2022, the year that we are currently oh. in as it's wrapping up, has, by our observation, been a rather freaking good and full year for horror movie releases. So we thought, leading up to this Halloween, you and I would do kind of a state of the union. A look oh. at what horror has been like in 2022. Talk about some favorites, talk about some things that we've noticed, and just kind of talk about what the frick is going on in horror. To kick things off, we saw the return of many a big franchise, oh. but the one that was kind of least expected for me... Uh, at its announcement was the return of the Scream franchise. Wes Craven, Kevin Williamson, not back, either of them. One didn't do it. The other, tragically, Wes did die five or six years ago. (laughs) Um, And I just kind of never thought we'd see another Scream again. And now we've got Scream playing on the legacy sequel idea, especially in horror where like Halloween when it came back. It's just the same name as the original movie and it's doing some of the same stuff, but things are a little bit different. You and I both liked Scream when it came out, this new one. But I'll admit to you here, I think it didn't sit with me at all. Nah. Neither. Much like when the Batman came out and I was like, God, all of you fucking cunts are so insufferable about this movie. Mm -hmm. It has had absolutely zero uh, chokehold of the discourse. Mm. Like I just, besides the controversy, I guess, in and around now they're doing the next scream and they wouldn't give Nev Campbell the money that she rightly deserves. Because you could say this- Insane, because this is like, this is so diabolical for many reasons, right? Mm -hmm. Because obviously there's Halloween movies without Jamie Lee. But specifically where it comes down to Scream is it's a film that's, the the success of it, the make or break of it is twofold. It's the premise, the sort of like pop cultural inner analysis of the slasher and the constraints Mm -hmm. and limitations and expansions of horror. But it's also Sidney Prescott. It's like these films don't, work without Nev Campbell and her giving that specific performance and that specific grounding of the performance. And you can do what Scream 5 did in Scream 4, um, where they bring in all these additional cast members and, you know, they've done it for all the franchises. Um, you bring in Jerry O'Connell in the second, mm-hmm. <laughs> in the third one, you bring in Parker Posey, you have Kevin yeah. Smith and Jay um, doing a Jay and Silent Bob thing. You have fucking Patrick Dempsey for God's sakes. But if Sydney Prescott's not there, these movies for me don't work. And I was yes. exciting to see they're bringing Hayden Panettiere back because I mm-hmm. thought her character Kirby was wonderful. Love from Kirby. The Love Kirby. She's great. She's great. But like, way to shit on the fucking legacy of the franchise by not offering Nev Campbell the money that she rightly deserves. And if you I look at so. other big franchises with like a defined lead. Every single one of them, when it's a male lead, you look at like freaking Mission Impossible or something like that, it becomes, or even fucking Rocky or Creed, the lead. Fast and Furious. Fast and Furious, they are a fully creative EP or 
become a director of the franchise and kind of be the head of it all. It is insane to me that Neve Campbell isn't a fully creative EP as the, you know, now that Wes is gone, I feel like she should have huge ownership of what this series is and where it should go. Uh, And it's insane to me that she should even be offered to direct this shit now. Like, she's made more of them than anyone else. I think it's crazy that 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 they felt that they could push her out of this franchise, like it could just move on. And I think that actually is to the true detriment of this new Scream film, because I think what I really love and appreciate about Scream is obviously the meta-textuality of it all, the commentary on horror as it is happening at that time. And, you know, we are in this franchise era of all cinema... And particularly horror now with like David Gordon Green's Halloween, Mm. uh, new Halloween trilogy, where we have these legacy sequels. And this is kind of like part and parcel with what like mainstream cinema is now. And I think that for Scream, it has to look at these types of movies. That's what it should be looking at. But it disappointed me that this didn't understand that they should be still from the perspective of Sydney. She's oh. coming in as a legacy character at small points throughout this film. But I think this film would have been more of a successful entry into the Scream franchise, at least for what the Scream franchise does best, if it was from her perspective. And she is not the lead of the film, but she should still be our lead character as an audience going in. She should still be our perspective character. If the plot of the film has the younger cast, and that's the plot of the film, but we're seeing that plot from the legacy Mm. character's perspective, I think it would be a really interesting take on what the fuck is going on in movies right now, instead of just executing an actual legacy sequel. Mm. Yeah, I 100% agree with you. And I was thinking about it like... When I saw Scream 5, I was like, perfectly enjoyable, had a fine time. I thought the movie looked really ugly, but the actual text itself I found satisfying enough. And when I was doing my like definitive Scream rankings, it's like Scream 1, Scream 2, Scream 4, probably Scream 5 and then Scream 3. But it was just like the separation between the others and 5 and 3 is like quite Mm. significant. And 3 also has that awesome set piece where um she's running away from Ghostface through a set of old Woodsboro and so she's like trying to escape and like opening up doors that go to nowhere which is like extremely like very niche and inner world but like meta on meta on meta but also just an amazing sort of like horror mechanism and set piece and with this I was just like I'm I'm a big Scream 4 girly like I Mm. really genuinely love that film I love it I think it's very clever Yeah, and the whole point of in that film, they have Sydney on a book tour coming back to Woodsboro, uh, and the book tour is about trauma and overcoming your trauma. And insert Jamie Lee Curtis (laughs) meme here of trauma. Um, But it's this merging of you have the new characters interacting with the old plot line in a way that is very interesting to me and I thought was very well handled. And with this, they almost do that with the whole Billy Loomis angle, but then they Mm. divert away at various points. And I don't know, it's just, it it was what it was. It's pretty interesting, I guess, because you have two of the big icons of the genre, Halloween and Scream, both having new entries this year. And the state of horror in 2022 is very fascinating because like, 
I think people will show up for those movies regardless. But what is really like catching my eye and getting people excited are those movies that are pushing through the barbarians, the bodies, 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 Mm. the smiles even like for fuck's sake, smile is a studio horror movie that is absolutely just like fucking, it had a 70% uptick in tickets between Mm -hmm. weekends. And I'm like, what the fuck? That never happens, especially for horror. And I got to tell you a smile. What a little pleasure. (laughs) I I had a full on blast with it. Such a nasty little ripper chock full of, Truly impress- impressive jump scares. Yeah. And I think it had... Caitlin Stacy. I'd love I to see love- her. I'd love to see her on the poster every fucking day of my life right now. It's There's one <laughs> nearby me. I love seeing her because, you know, she was quite a for- like a formative Australian star like yeah. when I was a teenager. To see her like finally get something cooler and bigger outside of this country was just like, man, thank you. I think she's such a Bro. good actor. You clearly didn't watch the first three seasons of the CW hit Rain, yeah. uh, which she was uh, one of the Wouldn't supporting it be a shock if I did? Finger banged against a wall. <laughs> okay, I'm PC. downloading it right now. Um, <laughs> let me download it. Uh, but I think it was also genuinely fresh to have like a horror film that, like you said, it's about trauma, but with the courtesy to actually be scary instead of just trying to be thoughtful. Mm. And I found that mm. like just so enjoyable. S- smile, like what a little surprise. You know, that's um, Kevin Bacon and Cairo Sedgwick's daughter in the lead role. Yeah. What the Isn't heck? Isn't that crazy? Isn't that crazy? That's really crazy. Wow. So bananas to me. I'm really invested in their relationship. I was having a day. I can't remember what it was I was watching, but I just spent like an hour reading every article about Cairo Sedgwick and um, Kevin Bacon getting together and falling in love and them wow. losing all their money to Bernie Madoff in that Ponzi Oh, scheme. my God. That's so much. They lost that their sucks. life savings. <laughs> Fuck. Well, hopefully they get... They got to make a new wall of things to get them some, cra- some cash or something. Well, Good Lord. that's what Kevin Bacon, he was saying in the interview. He's like, listen, we're still working actors. We can still book things. You do another two seasons of The Closer and I'll book yeah. a few more things. And, like, we've got our life savings back. And I was just wow. like, oh, my God. Thank Crazy. God. Well, if only Crazy. I had the same luck in my life. Um, I would also say a movie that you recommended to me that I watched last night, finally. So excited. Fresh. That is available on Disney+. Plus in Australia, uh, this was kind of on my radar, but then it fell off. I don't know why. Without me watching it, and I was quite taken by this. I had mm. never seen the lead, um, Daisy Edgar Daisy Jones. Edgar before, Jones. But she appears to be the lady of the moment. She's in Normal People. She's in the Let yeah. the Hit. Let me hear the song of those crawdads or whatever that movie's called. <laughs> I would say that. I- <laughs> The Song of the Crawdads, better title. Mm -hmm. But um, that was also one of those amazing, like, sort of pop culture zeitgeist things. Mm -hmm. And, like, this was the pre-Don't Worry Darling drama. Because that book was a big big hit. And then the movie's coming out and it's, like, Reese Witherspoon's Hello Sunshine with the producers on it. Taylor Swift's doing an original song, which I will say actually slaps. It's very, like her doing her Nick Cave murder ballad era. Mm-hmm. Like, it's a bag that I didn't expect for her. Anyway, Daisy Edgar Jones, really incredible, was concerned that maybe um, there wouldn't be enough space in the market for two white ladies with curtain bangs between mm-hmm. her and Dakota Johnson. But they're both such good actresses. I'm, like, delighted to see them in any and everything. Um, and she's also amazing in Under the Banner of Heaven, an objectively terrible show that she's exceptional in. 
But when the movie came out and they were doing the press tour, they ended up having to cancel all the interviews because the author of the book um, has a murder case that mm. ended up getting like similar to the one in the book, right? <laughs> Almost identical. Wow. Almost identical. Um, bananas, bananas discourse. But I will say, fresh, which is the directorial debut of Mimi Cave, who's um, probably. For, for people who, like, watch things, she's probably most familiar as the director of a bunch of video clips for indie bands and alt-rock bands, sort of like Foles and um, Sylvain Esso. And I was just like, what the fuck? Like, imagine this being your directorial debut. Mm. It is so accomplished and concise and secure in its vision. And this is probably, like, we were sort of back and forthing about our favourite horrors of the year in the context of Barbarian, which I think is maybe your favourite horror of the year. It might be, but, yeah. But it's tough yeah. call, but it might be. But for me, it's it's fresh. And it was, it's, this is how, like, fresh, fresh is in my mind. It was one of the first films I saw at the theatres this year because they did a bunch of um, sort of, like, media screenings that mm. were theatrical. And it would have been fucking, I don't know, like, January or February or some shit. Like it was really early and I've gone back and watched that film so many times since it has really, truly stayed in my mind. The things that it says about trying to be a woman and date in this like contemporary culture, the things that it says about the patriarchal consumption of women quite literally. Um, and also there's a character in this movie who they sort of introduce as a supporting character. Mm. The character is a, is a black man who's interested in one of the leads. And there's a part where he pulls up to this house that is extremely like, don't go into that house. And he just says, nope, turns around and leaves. And you mm. never see him again for the rest of the film. Like, usually that's a gag, you know, nope, or oh, no, not going to be me. And then you see them do something heroic later. This guy just yeah. leaves and you never see him again for the he rest of the film. He doesn't pop back up. Never again. His storyline's never resolved. He's just like, peace out, um, throwing up deuces and reversing back down this driveway, which I loved. But also the the sort of thing about this movie is there's a few beats in it, particularly where they're like, this the smart, the thing you've seen women do in these scenarios where it's like a woman, the less you know about fresh going into it, the better. So just see it cold and this will be no spoilers, but these bits where it's, a woman to trying to escape somebody or whatever. And there's an opportunity for them to escape or an opportunity for them to help somebody else. And usually if they stay and help somebody else, it's to the detriment of their mm. own survival, even though they're doing the right thing. And if they go and to like flee themselves, then they end up surviving. And there's a beat in this where it sort of talks about like the strength of women working together to overcome un- seemingly insurmountable mm. odds that was like a very literal take, but also an interesting sort of play on the classic, a woman most survive this uh, trope. I just fucking loved it. I loved it yeah. so much. So stylish, so brilliant. It's a real fun one. And I, I Daisy Edgar Jones, I think she fully has it. Like she, oh. I never seen her before. Immediately I'm like, this is a magnetic performer. And I just was like, I'm, I know that I'm going to watch everything they've done now. I, I'm going to yeah, watch yeah. all of normal people. I'm going to watch this crap show you're telling me about. I'm going to watch all of it. <laughs> I just think that she's a freaking star. I'd never seen no, her before, she is. ever. And it was so funny because you text me, this chick's amazing. And you were maybe like 20, 30 minutes in. Mm-hmm. And it was just like, you can't describe that thing that some people have. Like when I was watching normal people, I thought, 
she was great. I think he's great. I thought they were both great, mm-hmm. but I think all the heat was on the fucking little chain guy with the shorts, right? Yep. Phoebe Bridges fiance. Everyone was like, Paul Mescal, let's get it up. It's on. He's the guy. He's the boy. He's the whatever. And much more of the focus was sort of leaning towards him. Whereas it's really interesting because she's just booked gigs back to back, but is doing every single role is so fucking different mm. to the last thing I saw her in. And I'm just like, I just have no gauge on what this girl is capable of. I really think she's extraordinary. And I texted you during that first act, when that first act's mm. wrapping up, when the genre oh switches from kind of like a like borderline romantic comedy, this first part yeah. of the movie, which is almost like a TV show dating in the life of a young woman, you know, mm-hmm. kind of show that we see so much of. And I just thought she was brilliant. I was like, oh, God, I would see her in any rom-com a hundred times over. She's got it. And I think that genre switch works so well. And I'm a sucker for it. I see it more and more now of a late movie title reveal and title sequence and having it like half an hour into the movie when it switches genre. I was like, yeah, okay, I'm in. I like Fresh. No, it could do anything from this point on and I'll like it. But cool movie. I think it's very cool exploration of the transgression later on of like what the mm. what what the kind of the grub of uh fresh is like what it is transgressing against i thought was pretty cool and well done the oh i'll just say it the cannibalism of it all was sick i thought the it world looked, looked building. so well it's just like hey we're gonna do cannibalism but we're gonna make it like a business you know yeah. what i mean like it was it's not like there there's lots of Fresh is lots of subgenres stacked on top of each other, which mm-hmm. is woman meets a guy and things go wrong and he's not who he says he is. Dungeon horror, fucking cannibalism horror, survivalist horror. It's all these subgenres stacked on stacked on stacked. And yet it still manages to feel really fresh and different in a way that I think is really interesting. There was this tweet that I can't remember who tweeted it because it was like at the time when the movie was coming out, but it made me laugh so fucking hard. And it it basically said, James Marsden from 10 years ago is watching Fresh and biting mm. his fist with rage. So <laughs> God, he would have crushed this. But Sebastian Stan is good. He's really good so in this movie. Good. He's so good. The music, the deployment of the art direction, the production mm-hmm. design, everything. Like, it truly is a film that is like the sum of its parts. Every element is used as a tool to sort of big build this bigger, scarier world that I just mm. fucking love so much. Are there any other horror films that are, like, surprises for you this year? We've got other headliners like Nope, but Nope has been talked yeah. about a lot. I think we both yeah. love it. But are there yeah, any I love that it. Are, like, surprises or yeah. smaller ones that have stuck with you or even just something that kind of is against your expectations in some kind of way? Yes, I have a list. I will just say with Nope, I loved the premise of Sky Jaws. Like, I thought that yes. was just brutally bare bones, loved really it. interesting had a really wonderful time when I saw it. I saw it at the IMAX at Universal um, in LA and this couple behind me came in and they brought a fucking baby. (laughs) I was so mad. I was so mad because I was just like, of all the things you could bring a fucking baby to, it's got to be nope at the IMAX. It had the little (laughs) earmuff things on. It was a really cute baby. No disrespect. And let me tell you, that baby was so well behaved. It didn't make a sound <laughs> the whole time. I wow. felt like such an asshole. Um, so, no. Okay. Werewolf by Night is something that I, uh, like, I'm, you can't see this because this is audio, but I'm wearing yeah. like a universal um, you are. monster. Whoa. She just sweater. lifted the top up. What the hell? <laughs> <laughs> Whoa. 
<laughs> some franken tits. Um, but Werewolf by Night, which is a Marvel special presentation mm-hmm. based on the character Werewolf by Night, but also tying in Legion of Monsters, which mm-hmm. if you're a, a Marvel comics horror girly, Legion of Monsters is that bitch. It yeah. is very exciting because it's okay. like Elsa Bloodstone essentially teaming up with, you know, all of your classic quote unquote universal movie monsters, but they're not that because guess who don't so um and <laughs> this is the one like- I've been dying to hear you about because you and I love werewolves. You love werewolves love. even more than I do and I fucking love werewolves. And Let's see. I'm dressing up as a werewolf tonight, let me tell you. I'm going to a party and dressing up as a werewolf. (laughs) And I think it's taking me... I don't know what. I've not gone in on this because I think I'm so fucking over Marvel. Um, Mm. And I don't trust them to do anything interesting with a werewolf. But it's directed by Michael Giacchino, so I'm like, what the fuck? I mean, I know, isn't it? So, it's so weird. It's such yeah. a they're like, hey, let's get the music boy. And the music boy, he's got something to say, Alexi. It's a tight 50 wow. minutes. Um, so it really is like, it's basically like an episode of a thing, essentially. But it is so well done and interesting and homage while also like sort of shifting into a place that we haven't been before. It's the kind of thing I would love to see marvel tv doing more of mm. i think um not everything needs to be interconnected and tying into this thing or that thing there are super weird characters like this on the fringes that i think just giving us a one shot you know where it's just like a 50 I, I i did actually sort of wish it was like an hour and 20 for me that would have just like i don't Two know episodes why I, or something no just just give it to me a movie. Just make mm. it a movie. Like an extra half an hour. But that's like, that is not a detriment. Like, that's not a critique. That's just me being a fussy little bitch and wanting a little bit more. But just the structure of it was so wonderful. It really understanding the horror movie origins of a character like this and its place and its legacy in classic horror cinema while also tying in a lot of the mm. the really deep cut comic book stuff. I fucking loved it it truly was just like a big Uh, love for me do you reckon do you reckon it's worth me trying because i'm really am so sick of marvel but i don't i don't know if i can do it you wouldn't even unless you really knew who like elsa bloodstone is and all that why that stuff's important you wouldn't know it's it essentially like you could have never watched a marvel thing before and just go into this and not be missing anything because it's essentially there's like a little opening animated montage that's like, hey, just so you know, this is, exists in the same world, mm. but you don't really need to know anything else. It's like you can just piece out from there. Um, tonally, yeah, does it night. share anything tonally with Marvel? Because I think that's also part of where I'm out of it. No, it tonally share. It's probably more like Wolfman, 1941 yeah, Wolfman. Okay. You, know you know I love that. You know I love the 1940 <laughs> Wolfman. Okay. All right. That's, I might do yeah, it's a little. I just gonna sound weird, but it's a little bit like 1941 Wolfman meets Hunger Games. <laughs> okay, well, you know I love Hunger Games as well. So. <laughs> I actually didn't know that about yeah. you, but there you go. <laughs> My um, God, there, there you go. Um, bodies, bodies, bodies. A24 is a movie that I definitely saw. Um, <laughs> <laughs> I think I'm with you there. Like, I definitely saw it, but I think for me. Slasher films are comfort films for me. Like I go for some kind of comfort because they have 
a structure that mm. I know and can predict in some way. And I just like to see it be executed. And I like to see the executions happen. Like, I mm-hmm. go for horror for some kind of bloodlust as well. And I think Bodies, Bodies, Bodies was lacking in that bloodlust. The whodunit yeah. aspect to it was kind of interesting. I love the take on that whodunit. I love mm. the idea of that. But I think it's a detriment to the film. And it's so not what it's going for. But to have not really a villain in it was yeah. just something. And I know that's what it's going for. And I know that that's part of the film. But I don't know. Like, there's just something. Maybe that's what kept me at arm's length from it was that's something that I seek for comfort in as a horror film is like a fun villain or sick kills and this just kind of lacked those two bloodlusty elements for me yeah because it's a little bit like letting the air out of the balloon because it's a very agatha christie structure of like you know there's there's all these people here at this specific scenario during Mm -hmm. a specific time and they can't leave because there's a specific storm or whatever (laughs) And it's very, like, the bad guys coming from inside the house. But then when, like, the bad guys are the friends we... Or the frenemies we made along the way. It's, like, it's a little bit, like, decompressing. And it's in, it's an interesting because I saw it in a crowd full of, like, um, A24 obsessives. Mm. And I was, like, sitting there very intrigued watching sort of everyone around me because I was, like, felt okay about the film. I will never watch it again. And there's not very many horror films I can say that about. Usually if I'm just like, oh, I can't wait to revisit it. But I was just like, I think we need to have a discussion about whether films are good or whether they're just released by A24. Because that's sort of how it felt. It's like the way people were reacting. I I was like, I didn't get the things they were reacting to. And I was just like, I'm not fucking in my 60s and far moved from this generation. I think... Amandla Stenberg's amazing. I think Maria, um, how do you Bacalova. say her last name? Is incredible. I think um, Rachel Senowitz's amazing. The casting and everything and the performances are amazing. It just felt really hollow to me. And then watching on the flip side, because I think this would be a really interesting double bill, is Sissy, the Australian horror film. I'm and seeing it, felt- it next week, Maria. I can't wait. Well, I felt like Sissy does a better job of what Bodies, Bodies, Bodies was trying to do. Not to say that I think, like, either of them are, like, horror classics to me that I will, like, live with for forever, but Sissy was, like, it felt, like, much more um, thought through and developed in premise than Mm. what Bodies, Bodies, Bodies was trying to do. IMHO. Yeah, I think uh, I just... There's so much potential in Bodies, 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 and there's so much I did like, but... Just that, just that inch short, it fell for me. And that inch, yeah. unfortunately, that inch grows to a mile. But Rachel Sennett, <laughs> she's a star uh, as well. She's got it uh, big time. Did I, you see that thing on Seth Meyers where yes. she goes on about, oh, my God, so yeah. fucking good. Love her. I hate to be that person who's like, did you watch that thing on a late night yeah. show? But, um, and also, like, Bodies, 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 it has the Charlie XCX song, which mm-hmm. Hot Girls, which is rad. Amendola did this song called Alice, which is about Rachel Senua's character, which is fun. There's all this, like, vibey marketing around it. The poster's great. The tagline's great. The cast is great. But it was just a little bit of um, – what's the right way to say it, I guess? The – in the film where they're constantly running around the house with uh, using the light of their phones. And I was like, I get it for a scene, but it's basically the construction of the entire film is basically like, it's not really, but kind of lit by their phones as they hold their flashlight Mm. of their phone up. And I was like, 
it wasn't an interesting device for one scene. Maybe it could be filled with tension, but the whole film being like that, it was, it made me stylistically like really frustrated. I was like, ah, let's move on from this. Yeah. There's one horror movie. Have you seen speak no evil? Yes, I have seen that. And the reason (laughs) it's not funny, but, um, that sub genre of like, we go to a place and things go bad. Hmm. Is really how because Sissy is that as well. Um, I guess uh, Barbarian is kind of that as well. It's like people go to a place for a weekend or a booking or a thing. Uh, the the rental as well with the is oh yeah the other Airbnb one with the Franco Dave yeah Franco. Yeah. yeah there's just like this this real moment happening for thing for films that are like we go to a place. And it's bad. And it's mm. usually like middle class to upper middle class yeah. in that general vicinity. Speak No Evil, I saw it at the Melbourne Film Festival. And this is a European horror film. It is a Danish family visiting a Dutch family that they met on holidays. And I had seen it in the guide. It's on Paramount Plus now if you're curious mm. about it. And this is just one that I'm really stuck on, Maria, because... Mm. Ah, it was so. I found it to be such a weird experience watching it because only buzz I'd heard about it would have been like either in the guide or someone online mm. just going like, "This is the scariest horror film I've ever seen." And I was like, "Whenever okay. people say that, I'm yeah. always like." Mm. I was like, okay, I just want to see what it is because I love seeing a horror movie at a film festival because it's just like Same. a different way to see it and it's usually a movie you will probably never get to see with an audience in any other way unless it's like a big mm. one that's getting a preview. But this was like a European one. It's not going to get a release properly here. So I was so surprised to hear like what a kind of fucked up Euro horror this was. And But then the majority of this film plays like this awkward comedy of manners and Mm. misunderstandings that plays on this horror unease Mm. and the whole movie i was like this is just brilliant marketing that they go this is the scariest movie ever yeah and then it's just like awkward interactions with like other people (sighs) because of like this slight cultural difference between dutch and danish and like how there's just like faux pas that don't translate (laughs) slightly i was like oh my god this is genius this is so weird i was like this is funny and i'm laughing watching this movie and i was kind of convinced of its brilliance i go wow fuck this is genius shit like this is such a weird funny way to express horror and it's just like the unease of manners the kind of stuff we're talking about with um Mm. barbarian in our Mm. previous podcast but then when it actually takes the turn so late in the game to real Mm. horror and then it makes me go, oh, of course, there were hints all the way. That little kid opens his mouth and you see his weird little tongue and stuff uh. early on. Like, uh, <laughs> in my head, I was like, okay, the kid's got a weird little tongue. Sorry, that's awkward <laughs> or whatever. But then when it kind of gets back to it and you start thinking about it all, I was just like, oh, what a profound bummer. Like, it just didn't work for right. me. When it goes to yeah. truly a fucked up, grotty, grimy horror movie in that last... I don't know, 20 minutes of the movie. And I just go, yeah. I don't know. It didn't work. It's, it was, okay. So I'm so glad you said that because when you mentioned it on the Barbarian pod, I was like, oh, do we, like, I was really intrigued to hear what you thought. Because again, mm. it was a little bit like bodies, bodies, bodies for me. It was like, yeah, I definitely, this is for sure a film that I saw. Um, and like, did I love it? And do I think it's as, as good as the hype suggests? Honestly, no. But, uh, 
it, that structure of like holding everything back until the mm. final act, it so rarely works. It works in something like the case of The Invitation, the Karen Kusama mm. movie, God, which is that also that same thing about mm. this comedy of manners and like the overstepping and the politeness. But these two characters are in very different places, but brought together by their shared trauma. But the film that Speak No Evil sort of, made me think about was a film that I saw last year. It was this New Zealand horror film called Coming Home in the Dark. And it stars Daniel Gillies, who people would be familiar with as Rachel Lee Cook's ex-husband, but also as Elijah from The Vampire Diaries Mm. and the originals and legacies. Anyway, he's a really brilliant actor, as honestly most of the people are on those Vampire Diaries original shows, because, like, the... The thing that's really interesting about them is the source material for them, the books, isn't actually that strong. And the reason those shows got like fucking eight seasons for one, five seasons for the other, like it really just drives me nuts because I was like the the world building for Buffy is so good and we mm. only got one spinoff. Whereas the world building for this is like, okay, but we had, <laughs> there's, you know, collated like 500 episodes and a decade's oh worth God, of pop culture. Crazy. It's Imagine really watching it all now from now going like, okay, I'm going to start watching this show. Alexi, I'm literally doing that at the moment because the Julie Pleck, who was, and Kevin Williamson related to Scream. Oh, wow. So Julie Pleck was Wes Craven's assistant on Scream. And then mm. she was an associate producer on Scream 2. Anyway, so Kevin and Julie come from Scream Universe. They did Vampire Diaries, Originals, Legacies. Uh, Julie's doing Vampire Academy, my favorite book series of all time at the moment. The TV show has a lot of potential, but is going through some pretty interesting TV problems from like a craft perspective. But anyway, the reason the Vampire Diary shows work is because they have this, they cast them incredibly. They cast these people who are just fucking nutso. The boy from, you were talking about Lost before, um, the guy who plays uh, Damon, uh, Damon's the character, uh, Ian Sol. Summerholder? I always call him Oh, yeah, I know him from Lost. Yeah, Ian (laughs) Summerholder. Yeah, I love him. Yeah, he was the first main cast member to die in that show. And um, anyway, he's also married to Nikki Reed, who's famous for playing a vampire in the Twilight series. She plays Rosalie. It's very, it's all cross-connected. But anyway, Mm -hmm. Daniel Gillies, he plays Elijah, Vampire Diaries, and Originals. He is the lead in Coming Home in the Dark, which is essentially... This family, which is has Eric Thompson as the dad and Miriam and McDell as the mom, are like out there in the wilds of New Zealand, kind of going on a road trip. And Daniel Gillies and this other guy show up and it's kind of like, oh, that's kind of weird. Oh, are these just two sort of like hikers? What's happening? And then it's basically like this family in chaos, this really traumatic, horrific thing happens. And it's just this descent into despair and trauma that all ends up coming back, tied back to things from the past, but also like things that happen in the New Zealand. Um, uh, how, do, how would you say it? Like the New Zealand care system. There were mm. a lot of boys schools that did really fucked up shit to kids uh, throughout that. 70s 80s and 90s and it's so it's this really amazing horror movie that's about a very specific thing in the micro but the macro is examining the wider issue and it just when i was watching speak no evil i was like i feel like coming home in the dark did this better like it's Ah, a different type of horror but it was like the thing they were setting out to achieve i thought was tackled better in that film which again 
I don't think many people saw. It was playing on the, I think it played at Sundance. Like it was on the film festival circuit for a while mm. and it played at Myth, which is how I saw it. Yeah. And I was just like kind of blown away. I think Daniel Gillies is an incredible actor, but I'd also just never seen him play a character like this that is just so wow. relentlessly terrifying, like a great wow. horror movie villain. And what's the title of that one again, Maria? Coming Home in the Dark. It's Coming by Home James Af- Ashcroft. Yeah. Great. Really good i got to catch up with that one. It sounds so interesting. I'll tell you one that was like probably my biggest surprise was, I don't even know if you've seen this one, um, Orphan, First Kill, the prequel. Oh my God! To the now classic Orphan movie. Of course. I had never seen Orphan because when it came oh. out... Um, was just before I became a true horror fan, but also mm. someone had spoiled the twist for me. So I had to try yeah. and wait long enough to kind of forget or at least put in the back of my head what the <laughs> twist was. Unfortunately, I never forgot. I knew what it was and I watched yeah. it for the first time this year. Goddamn, great movie. Loved it. And this prequel, Orphan First Kill, probably the most possible fun way to follow up that film that you could ever think of. I love how many people have been talking about this of like, I've just had the most fun I've ever had watching the sequel to Orphan. (laughs) Oh my God. The trickery to make Isabel Furman, who no longer is a child. She was a child star, 12 years old for the original Orphan, playing a character that has some kind of twisty element to it, yada, yada, yada. But now she's coming back as a woman, like my age, playing this character again. Um, as younger. And I just thought that was so fun. Like, all the kind of, like, Peter Jackson Hobbit trickery to make them convincingly enough appear to be childlike is so joyfully entertaining and just is such a huge part of, like, the text of this film to make it, like, so lusciously fun to watch. Mm. And there's this moment where this film it all turns was exactly when i was completely sucked in by it and it is as enjoyable as it could possibly be i i hope they keep making more prequels where she just gets younger She's- and younger <laughs> because i loved it julia styles so like what are you I doing know. in this movie honey what are you doing and i'm like oh i know what you're doing here i love it i love you julia styles julia styles uh was in the omen remake mm-hmm. with lee schreiber yeah, yeah i which i thought honestly i thought was really good like mm-hmm. i really did released on the it. 6th of june on the 6th oh. year of the millennium 6606 <laughs> unfortunately you can't just uh, call it 6 <laughs> Yeah, it's a it's a shame that 1666 wasn't a year mm-hmm. a big theatrical year for movies because <laughs> yeah. that would have been really funny. But no, I totally agree. Also, Isabel Furman, um, shout out to the Hunger Games again because she mm-hmm. was uh, in those early one in the early one, I should say. But it's also a very funny like subtextual way to point to the big twist of Orphan, which mm-hmm. by the way, Orphan based on a real story, um, yeah. which is fucking bananas to me. But it's it is like really funny to be like. Here's the twist of this movie. This The original came out long enough now that probably most people know it. So let's take the twist and use that as like mm-hmm. a feature rather than a flaw, which I thought was very smart and very clever. But also it's not as if Isabel Furman's like a big star. They could have just as easily recast a kid actor into that part. But I think they really understood, well, besides the fact that she's actually really fucking great as an actress. Yeah, she's great. And really knows what she's doing within the genre space. But I think it is also just like 
a very funny, interesting choice. That's hilarious. And if they do make more of these, that's fucking... <laughs> mm. Any Would other little highlights or anything that maybe people didn't get that you liked? Like, for me, I thought the black phone was cool and a lot of people didn't get it. Oh, yeah, I liked that. I no, I liked that effective. too. Yeah. I think yeah. Uh, I think it's hard to make a horror film that's about child murder um, that's enjoyable, that's a good hang. Like, with it... Really? Like, I love all a- of them. I love every movie where a kid <laughs> dies. <laughs> You're a big pet cemetery and it mm. chapter two guy. No, but like the Stephen King out of all this, like a zenniness to it, you know, there's like yeah. an element of disbelief or suspended reality. And black phone is not that like, even the short story is very like, gr- yes. Okay. There's kid ghosts and shit, but it's very grounded in like mm. this thing happens and this is the reality of it. Yeah. Blah, blah, blah. I really enjoyed it. I love Scott Derrickson. Um, I'm right there with you. I, I understand why people were resistant to it, but that wasn't me. Um, yeah. I reckon they should re-release the Lovely Bones just as the Black Phone. Just go, hey, we we actually did the Lovely Bones, and then it's just a DVD of the Black Phone in there. Alexi, you just hit my sweet spot. I fucking <laughs> love the Lovely Bones. I was reading oh, the gosh. trades every yeah. week. I was when so Ryan excited Gosling, for that movie. Weirdest film. Oh, Ryan, Ra- Ryan Gosling drinking fucking milkshakes to like get fat and then gets pushed <gasps> out by Marky. Mark Wahlberg, who does an amazing job, I have to say. Rachel Weiss, Susan mm. Sarandon, yeah. like, oh my God. Um, What's her name? Erin Moriarty. Sasha's in it. Sasha. Oh, I interviewed her for that film. Wow. Like, it was uh, truly The funniest just... thing for Lovely Bones is you can find it the the year, the Oscars of, of that year, where Stanley Tucci is nominated for Best Supporting Actor for The Lovely Bones. By the way, his only Oscar nomination. When they Crazy. Play, when Crazy. they play his clip at the Oscars, you can see the eyes roll to the back of his head where he's embarrassed. <laughs> I fucking... I will say I love that movie because, <laughs> as you know, I love shit films and mm. that's my brand. But I also just thought that was an impossible book to yeah. tackle like it really is just oh, like how speaking do you of do that? books with uh <laughs> back in the news the lovely bones <laughs> that's been Tough. back in the news because the author no yeah but it was her first book yeah um which is oh i mean it's just oh, fucking what a minefield anyway let's yeah. hard pivot okay let's not talk about that but just things. so people know that we know about that story <laughs> yeah we know we know stuff um okay so Them, which is a Shutter original. It's by Aussie filmmaker Alice Mayomaki. It's um, it's basically about a, a guy gets turned into a vampire and oh, recruited by yeah. drag queens. Yeah, it's oh very. Oh my god! It's very like John Waters type style vibe oh, to it. Very man, Shutter camp. is killing it. Shutter is killing it. Um, the DOP on that, Aaron Chupan, is a mate of mine and also shot my short film, The House at Hungers, and is a longtime listener of this show and does oh. some incredible fucking work Hell yeah. uh, on that flick. Um, and that's called So Vamp? So Vamp. Like, oh, my God, So Vamp. Wow. We're uh, going to watch it this week. I can't wait. It's it's really fun. And Alice has a bunch of other flicks that are going to Shutter either end of this year or early next year as well, including Bad Girl Boogie, which mm. I think is also going to be right up people's alleys. Um, X, Pearl, I just think they're interesting films to just, like, keep in the discussion. Yeah, I've not seen Pearl yet, but X I did like. I'm a big Ty West fan, Same. and I kind of thought he'd never make another movie again. To mm. find out he's making a trilogy, I'm like, okay, thank you for coming back, brother. 
Yeah, with Mia Goth as the centerpiece is mm. a really fascinating choice. Um, now, this is a movie from last year, but I'm bringing it up because there were two bangers. I've got two favorite horror girlies who mm. are like not really horror girlies, but Rebecca Hall and Micah Munro. And Rebecca Hall was in Micah. this movie called... Oh, I love Micah too. From yeah. It Follows. Um, mm-hmm. But Rebecca Hall was in The Night House, which came out last oh, year. Yeah. It's on Disney Plus. It's highly plus. recommend. But she's also in this movie called Resurrection, which is a nifty little psychological horror that I really liked. And then Micah was in this movie called Watcher, which also, again, a little bit of a like rear window psychological horror Oof. type vibe. But then this other really... rear window shit. Same, same. And this is like a big apartment block type scenario. Oh. So it's really like expanded stakes. Yeah, this- Maria, you talking my language. <laughs> my God. And then this other movie that she's in with um, Jake Lacey, which is like a, a weird choice because he's not necessarily known outside of the comedic and dramatic mm-hmm. world. But this flick called Significant Other about two, a couple who go like hiking in a forest and shit goes wrong. Um, it's on binge if people are looking to watch that. But those two were really, those two sets of two were really rad. Um, I mentioned this on our Barbarian episode. So there's someone inside your house and boys from County Hell. I really loved uh, Alone, which is, a, a, they did an American remake of this Danish horror film. It's a Netflix original I highly recommend that as well. It's from a few years ago, but it's one that's just like really stayed with me mm. when I was putting this list together. And then the one that came out, I believe it's 2021, but we didn't have access to it here until this year. It's called Wolf of Snow Hollow, which is okay. by Jim, Jim Cummings. Cummings. Yeah. Yeah. And has a jawbone like a razor. Like, honest to God, mm. what the face on that guy. Like, if yeah. he wasn't who he is right now, he, like, time-traveled from the 1920s and was yeah. a silent movie star. But it's essentially a... It's a it's, is it a werewolf movie? Is it not? But there's a bunch of attacks that are happening in this town and the pe- people are questioning, is this a werewolf or is this a murder? And it's sort of about this conflict between the sheriff and the sheriff's son sort of one viewing it one way, one viewing it the other. And it is a horror comedy, but like very light on the comedy. Like the jokes are never Mm. played as jokes. It's just like the joke is the scenario, but I fucking loved it. I watched it and was like, this is nuts. This is one scene uh, which is very Silence of the Lambsy, where it's like a Clarice Starling knocking on the door of Buffalo Bill sort of moment. And I was, I was obsessed. I just watched that scene over and over again and have watched the film a few times since. But it is genuinely really, really good, really surprising and really unexpected. I just absolutely loved it. And What's that yeah, film called again? The Wolf of Snow Hollow. That's great. Yeah, I recommend it too. I like Jim Cummings a lot. I liked his new movie, The Beta Test, even more than The Wolf of Snow yes. Hollow. Uh, cool movie. I've got a couple of more recommendations I'll give to you as well. Uh, Let's do it. I'm ready. Something in the dirt from Aaron Moorhead and Justin Benson, who are two independent filmmakers I really admire. They're probably best known. They did a few episodes of Moon Knight. Uh, That's probably what they're (gasps) best known for now. Uh, But they did a film called The Endless that I thought was amazing a few years ago. Interesting horror. And uh, Mm. I love everything they're working on here. There's like this burnt out obsessive vibe. There's such a kooky tone for them to play in of like two guys investigating, going down the rabbit hole of like this apartment they live in that has 
I guess, some oddities to it, some things that define mm. nature. And mm. uh, I think that all that's really like holding back this from being my favorite of their works is the execution, the ideas feel so rich but and exciting, but maybe not quite as sewn together as effectively as their previous mm. work. And there's like this documentary perspective to this film that just fascinates me. They've got like a little bit of a docu- faux documentary thing going on at different points. Uh, which really works. I think as I revisit this film, which I know that I will, it will strengthen even more. It's a cool one. It's called Something in the Dirt. It's a little bit, just a touch X-Files-y, but in a really new way to play with it. Have you seen Archive 81, perchance? No, but it's been on my list for a little while. Highly recommend, but all the things that you were sort of saying then about like investigating an apartment mm. sort of faux documentary style was all like ding, 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 like hitting yeah. in terms. That's a Netflix original series based on a podcast that I highly recommend. Very, mm. um, I, I hate to say, Candyman vibes, right. but like anytime there's like shit going on in an apartment, but it's used as a wider metaphor about a city, I'm like, ooh, Candyman. Candyman. <laughs> And we can't say it any more times. We're pretty close to the limit. (laughs) Um, And I would also give a little shout out to Mad God for just even existing and for Shudder for putting it out. And I would say if you're a horror fan and you don't have Shudder, get it for the fucking month of October. It's worth it. This is Phil Tippett, one of the legendary uh, kind of... I guess, like, practical effects and special effects guys ever. He did Jurassic Park, Return of the Jedi, Indiana Jones, like, all of those big ones, Robocop. He's, like, the guy. And Mad God is this weird little stop-motion animation claymation thing that he's been working on for three decades as his passion project. And he finally finished it. It's out. It's almost like... If you're Australian, you'll get this reference. Plasmo. It's like the style (laughs) of Plasmo, but fully disturbing and like visceral. And it's like these juxtaposition of scales, which is so Mm. interesting. And it's just like a grimy delight. Uh, Very rusty, very oozy. I think it's a cool little movie, not really a narrative to it at all. But that is like probably the one of the best joys I've had this year was seeing this in a cinema. But now it's very accessible. It's on Shutter. People can watch it. it for three decades. This film has been in people's brains, and it's finally out. And that's called I Mad was God. Reading a lot about that film actually in the release to it because I was I was like, ooh, this kind of sounds like Meet the Feebles, but mm. horror. And which was, I mean, but also like budget um, yeah. and maybe better done than Meet the Feebles. But speaking of horror originals that are super high concept, there's this film called Glorious, which is. Uh, I just Ryan watched Quentin. it. I oh just watched it. Yeah. Banger, Rebecca McKendry, great director. Cool little fucking yeah. cosmic horror movie set in a public toilet. Yeah, and J.K. Simmons. Based, if you ever want to see a movie where J.K. Simmons essentially voices a glory hole, mm-hmm. then this is the film for you. <laughs> yeah, it's a weird one. And can I tell you this? Ryan Quanton, obviously love him. You and I have talked about him a lot, how he became love. like the biggest movie star in Australia for a little bit. Yeah. But how Australian does Glorious feel? Uh-huh. Like, mm. just beyond him, it feels like an Australian movie to the point where I want to message Rebecca McKendry and just go like, hey, were there any Aussie movies that influenced you for this one? Like, It this- feels kind of 
like wormwoody in a mm. way, like not a, like not at all plot wise, but also I don't know. There's just there's a yeah, vibe no, or something. Yeah. I don't know what it is. Yeah, it's a it's a very specific quality to it. No, that's a really good point. Actually, you've kind of hit the nail put, on the head. But I can't put my finger on like what it is. Like maybe it's the lighting looks Australian or something. I don't <laughs> even like. There's something about it where I was like, beyond Ryan Quantum, this feels like an Australian movie. Maybe it's the vibe of, like, trying to do a lot with very little. Mm, maybe. Especially in our genre space, that's what yeah. happens here. Yeah. Um, and also, I will say, speaking of Australian connections, I don't know if this would count as a horror film. I think they would intentionally position it as more of a dramatic thriller. But The Stranger, yeah. which um, just dropped on Netflix uh, this week, is fucking incredible. One of my my favourite movie of the year. Easy. Wow. Brave. Yeah. I got to host the Q&A for I saw uh, the You wore a cute premiere. little outfit. It yes. looked very nice. I Lovely. was wearing basically my Finding Jesus threads. Uh, but mm. yeah, the director, Thomas M. Wright, I think he's a fucking genius. Like, I'm a bit obsessed with this film. Like, I have mm. not stopped thinking about it since I saw it at Myth. Highest recommendation. I actually have to, after we finish talking, Maria, I have to write about that film uh, for something. So I'm like... I got to send it off by this afternoon. So I'm like, fuck, I got to get cracking. Oh my God. Amazing. No, I just thought it was incredible, incredibly deftly handled, an amazing sort of like positioning of great Australian crime mm-hmm. stories and understanding like the balance and the threshold of both. Obviously, it's inspired by the Daniel Morecambe case. Mm. Um, Thomas M. Wright, I will say, is a Kiwi. I feel like that's important to shout out before you fucking Australian no, cunts try and steal him. <laughs> he's um he's the love interest in the first season of Top of the Lake and mm. what is a truly it was like the first because like you know he's someone that's familiar has popped up in lots of New Zealand stuff over the years and a lot of American stuff as well but the first time I was just like holy fuck was wow. watching him in Top of the Lake season one I was just like the unhinged menace to that character and the way he was able to bring that mm. across. Very interesting as a performer, especially juxtaposed with him as a director and what he's unleashing or, like, getting people to unleash in that film. Yeah. Amazing. Amazing shit. Hey, Maria, I hate to end on a negative note, but I got to tell you what I hated. I hated a movie this year and very rarely do I hate something, especially in horror. I usually give a sucker for anything, but I hated the adaptation of my best friend's exorcism that Amazon... Prime put out. I yeah. love that book. And I had earned, I discovered it last year, and then I read every other thing Grady Hendrix had put out. I love his work. I love like the perspective that he captures. I love the tone of that book, and I fucking hated this adaptation. It was so plain and uninspired adaptation of a book that is just possessed with personality. Rushes oh. through its material. It leaves not even a moment that feels. Uh, weightless like it, it just feels weightless everything feels insignificant and this movie is all about those little moments of friendship that book I mean is all about those moments of friendship the movie was so disappointing and it made me so sad Elsie Fisher the star of 8th grade she deserves better because she's fucking great and she's really good in another horror movie this year that I think is super underrated the Texas Chainsaw Massacre what wow. fake phony legacy sequel <laughs> where they're like fuck the idea of legacy sequels <laughs> so bloody and gory and fucking weird and it shits in the face of Lego sequels it's a fucking weird one and I think I liked it more than almost anyone else on earth 
Yeah, I didn't hear anybody give a positive spin on the tech, new Texas Chainsaw Massacre. You are the only one. You're mm-hmm. an enigma, Alexi, a unique snowflake. But the Grady Hendrix thing is interesting because textually with those books, I I like them. I Or I should say I like different because yeah. this horror story is one that I really like. The only thing that I have a little bit of trouble with is um, the whole ongoing theme across several of his novels are all about women yeah. dealing with female trauma yeah. and the different things that women go through and how women tackle female trauma. And for like one book or two books, maybe, but when you're a dude and that's your entire brand. Yeah. I've I read three st- that are exactly that three or four. actually, they think are all they, exactly that. They, they are all that. And it, it does get for me anyway, personally really mm-hmm. frustrating because it's like, where are the opportunities for us to tell those stories? Yeah. But anyway, it is what it is. Um, I think that's a really, really good point because the two of them that I read, I loved. And then by the third one, I was like, this has waned on me. Yeah. No, it, uh, it is that thing of like, I think mm. whatever your first or second Grady Hendrix book is, that's the one that you're yes. really going to connect with and love the most. But then exactly it is v- right. very much... You know, because yeah, I sort of thing. loved but- my best friend's exorcism. I love the like Southern Ladies Book Club one about the vampire. Yes, oh my was god, amazing! And then Final Girl Support Group. I was like, okay, mate, sorry, <laughs> not yeah, quite, mate, well, there- sorry. <laughs> well, there was this book called The Final Girls by um, that I really loved, and it was essentially about three final girls of all different serial killers getting together to work together to solve this thing. And it was literally all about, again, insert Jamie Lee Curtis name. That's this book. Right. What the hell? Well, that's, I know that's, they're very, they only came out a few years apart too, but it was like sort of the final girls, the Riley Sager book and Stephanie Perkins, there's someone inside my house was sort of the two novels that really kickstarted the literary slasher resurgence. Right. Cause that's mm. what, I know what you did last summer was it was that era of post Nancy drew. We were trying to like make, make bring the literary slasher back, I guess. And there was a bunch of sort of pulpy novels in the late eighties and nineties that did that. But anyway, uh, the final girls, Riley Sager, I was like, damn, this person's like really got it. Like she really understands, connects with the voice, understands what it's like to live as a woman with like fear and danger around you at all times, blah, blah, blah. And I was like, let me read what else they've done. And then it turned out it was a pseudonym for a male author. And I was just, I felt so betrayed. (laughs) Like didn't take away, it didn't take away from the book being really great and me connecting with it. But it was this thing of like, this was specifically mm. about women and female trauma and thing. things. Remember Paul yes! Fennick? Oh, God. And just, like, you're really feeling and connecting mm. with, like, oh, this woman really understands. And then looking it up yeah. and Riley Sager being a pseudonym for male author and just feeling a wee bit betrayed. And it's really conflicting because yeah. that's sort of how I feel about the Grady Hendrix stuff as well. Yeah. I mean, that's the thing. That's the convo with Grady Hendrix. I think it's uh, – and Bat – those books are really good and the fucking movie <laughs> sucked ass and it was not like, it was not beautifully done. So embarrassing, so upsetting. And the Paul Fennick thing, for those listening, Paul Fennick is an Australian comedian filmmaker comedian. and he makes mm. like, you know, very silly grubby TV shows and stuff. And he made his bones by entering a film festival using uh, the persona of a female filmmaker. And he... I mean, it worked for him, but it's one of the most psycho things you can ever hear someone did. Super tough, especially when you go back and trace the origins of like, oh, well, how did this person get their start? Or how did they blah, blah, blah? And you're like, oh, my God. Me and my buddies are obsessed that he did that. Like, what a fucking lunatic. 
like it's insane it's an insane thing God. that you just like actually truly can't believe at you various can't points. believe it that someone actually and like oh man like you, there's no if someone did that now i think this whole country would be nuked <laughs> Probably should be. To be fair, it probably should be. Just wipe uh, us clean. Start again. <laughs> absolutely. Hey, Maria, I love you so much, dude. Happy Halloween. Thanks for doing oh, the show. My favorite time of the year, baby. No, it's so good. I love talking horror with you. You've got some cool stuff coming up. Your short film. How are oh, we doing yeah. with that? Are we going to get yes, to see oh it sometime God. soon? Well, yes, I hope. I mean, we'll, we'll fucking see. I guess I can say this on the show because, like, you know, mm-hmm. life is all about the struggle. We entered it in South by Southwest, so it would be wonderful if that happens. Mm. But if it doesn't, we'll move on to another festival. Yeah. <laughs> Hopefully they don't listen to this pod. Um, but, yeah, it's called The House That Hungers. We just um, picture locked the other day. Uh, it's based on a short story that I wrote um, that uh, was nominated for a few awards. You can read that if you just Google The House That Hungers, Maria Lewis. Um, but yeah, I'm, I'm really excited mainly because I don't say I'm really like, I'm really excited because of my Mm -hmm. work. No, I'm really excited because everybody who worked on it just did the most incredible fucking shit. And like our production designer, Pop Allen, he worked with our incredible VFX supervisor, Jeremy, and they like the, the way the two of them work together to combine all these practical effects where we have like. Uh, I don't want to spoil or any uh, spoil it, but like a, a very specific death scene that the assumption was it would be with VFX, and I was like, no, we're kind of like I'm dedicating this thing to Ron Cobb, so I sort of mm. want want it to be as practical as we can make it, and him coming up with physical ways to do that. Cato Boyle, our costume designer, who worked on The Stranger actually, yeah. um, and Firebite as well, uh, just having an amazing amazing way to work within like a limited budget, and of course like. Uh, Kimmy, Kimmy Tomagoshko is our lead who is the thing the film hinges on, just gives the most amazing performance and she's so talented and good and I just feel like it's such a joke that I was able to get her to do this and um, thank you to all of the satanic gods that I uh, made sacrifice to because she's just amazing. So anyway, I'm really excited that hopefully people get to see it soon because I'm so proud of everybody's work on it. It's just just fucking amazing. I'm so happy for you. I'm proud of you. I can't wait to see it. Send it to me illegally if possible. I will. Oh, Uh, actually I should say one thing real quickly is mm -hmm. my friend Amanda who, um, who was one of, who was the founding member of operator please does her first ever film score on the show. And it is so fucked up and scary and creepy and good. I'm just like, oh my God. God damn it. it. We love to hear that. Maria, love you, dude. Thank you for joining me. Thank you. And thank you listeners for listening and supporting the show. Uh, We love you very much. Talk to you soon.